You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. This week we're doubling up, so you probably saw that we had a podcast that went out last week with our pre-EMS course which we released but so we're catching up to our schedule this is the normal time for the Weed Smart podcast and I'm joined by my co-host Pete Newman how are you going Pete? Yeah great Jess how are you? I'm really good and we've actually got an awesome podcast today for the listeners we're going to be chatting with Dr Michael Walsh about the research into the vertical IHSD mill he tested the efficacy of the mill so we're going to find out the results from that and we also chatted with a precision ag specialist, Jeremy Jones from Dolby Rural Supplies, and he's going to give us a little bit of an insight into his perception of how the weed it works, and he also gives a little bit of an idea of what he's excited about in the ag tech space. So that'll be a good one to hear later on in the podcast as well. But how are you going, Pete? Yeah, good, Jess. Yeah. No, I've been going really well. Uh, latest thing in my life is total immersion swimming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very getting into that. <laughs> yeah. No, my wife and I go swimming a few laps every week and I've uh, got a friend who's into this thing. It's been around for quite a while, but yeah, it sounds like we're swimming underwater, but we sort of are not. <laughs> yeah, well, explain what it is for the, for the listeners. Yeah, well, it is just looks like normal freestyle, but your whole body sort of goes underwater <laughs> yeah, okay. rather than, you know, how you see people swim freestyle with their sort of heads up and their feet down a bit and they're, and they're pushing a lot of water. Yeah. This is a different sort of a take on the stroke and it's sort of probably good for distance swimming and open water swimming and that sort of thing. I don't think we'll see it at the Olympics anytime soon, but yeah, it's really, really different, really great. It's given me a great new outlook on swimming, actually. I've never been hugely into it, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So is my wife. It's fantastic. Was it hard to pick it up? Yeah, I'm only about 10% of the way through learning the technique properly, I reckon, Jess. It'll take probably the rest of my life, as they say. But no, it's yeah, it'll it's really good though. It's pretty easy to get the basics of it, but then it'll take a long time to get it really nice. Yeah, I want to look like one of those nice, smooth swimmers that can swim forever. That's the aim, Jess. Yeah, that would be very cool. I always get mistaken for a swimmer, but I'm not very good at all. So oh right, okay. <laughs> we need, need to get into TI. Total immersion. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that'll be the the thing that makes a difference to me. I should give it a go, maybe because yeah, I'm definitely not a graceful swimmer. I can swim to survive, but yeah, not quite into the uh, yeah the professional realm at all. Oh no. Yeah, and wait it, till you get into total immersion; it'll change your life. Okay, I'll give that a crack. <laughs> My friend who's from Italy, she used to be in the Italian swimming team. She nearly made wow. the Olympics, and mm. I went swimming with her a few times. And the local swim coach. He approached her and he was like, oh, wow, you're amazing. I was like, wow, okay, so that's what good swimming looks like. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but let's get into the podcast, Pete. There hasn't been anything that exciting in my life to report, so hopefully I'll have a story for you next time. But uh, we have some really great interviews to get to anyway. So first up, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Michael Walsh from University of Sydney. They've just released the results from the vertical IHSD testing that they've done to make sure that the uh, weed seed kill rate is up to the standard. You're quite in tune with what's going on here. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into the reason why Dr. Michael Walsh has done this testing? Well, just basically there's been a lot of different mills over the years, slightly different variations on the very first cage mill. 
every time they make any change, Mike Walsh has got in and tested it just to make sure the, the kill rate has, has stayed up there. And so this time's no different, obviously, with the, with the HSD going from a horizontal hydraulic to a vertical belt-driven mill. They wanted to make sure that there was no change to the kill rate. They weren't expecting any, but they had to confirm it. And, yeah, he, uh, so he went and, and did that testing again. All right. Well, should we take a listen and get the results? Yes, let's do it. Firstly, how are you going, Michael? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks, Jess. You've how been, are you? I'm good. You've been very busy, lots of road travel with lots of different uh, projects. So you must be, um, yeah, feeling a little bit good to be back. You're back in the office at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, no, I'm back home for a little while, Jess, but it, well, it's been pretty exciting times, actually, with a lot of things happening machinery-wise, really, with uh, weed control at the moment. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm really fortunate to be able to chat with you to find out a little bit more about the uh, vertical mill testing that you've been doing. So let's get into that then. You've recently done some research testing on the vertical IHSD mill. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of what that testing was looking to find? Yeah, so just we really, I guess, offer a service to anyone in particular who wants to develop a uh, an impact mill system. And so what we did in this case was to test the, the vertical IHSD. Now it's basically got the same internal mill configuration but being mounted a little bit differently and, well, essentially flipped on its side. We thought, well, we probably should do a test just to make sure that it is similar in efficacy to the horizontal mill. So the, the way we go about it is to introduce a known number of, of ryegrass seeds. We always focus on ryegrass because that's the, the tough one. We introduce these ryegrass seeds while the, the harvest is in operation and we collect what comes through the mill while we're introducing these weed seeds. We typically do it over a, a set distance and then the uh, that's the easy part. And then once we've collected that processed chaff material, including the uh, processed weed seed, we spend a bit of time sorting through that material and uh, yeah, retrieving weed seeds to do a germination test. Yeah, and this is quite different to how you used to do it before. Can you give us a comparison of the previous test that you've done and how this new test is different? I guess the new test is a bit of a, uh, a shortened, quicker version than what we used to do before. So previously when we were doing the initial evaluations of the mill systems, we were really thorough. We just collect the chaff material and then manually sort through every piece of that chaff to try and find intact or whole or parts of the ryegrass seed. So we would have to dye the ryegrass seed to know that um, we were collecting just the ones that um, had been uh, introduced. Yeah, very um, tedious. Very <laughs> tedious, yeah. Lots of lots of um, person hours involved in uh, collecting that uh, dyed ryegrass seed fragments. And then once we had them, we had to do a germination test on that. So, yeah. And, I mean, typically with a test, you finish up with about eight kilos of chaff material, which is... Probably uh, about a cubic metre, <laughs> or <laughs> probably a little bit less than a cubic metre of material that you need to um, yeah, sort through and, and retrieve the uh, seeds. So what we do now is we take subsamples of that material. So we'll take four or five subsamples of, of well-stirred-up material or even the uh, distributed material throughout the, the overall sample and then sort through that to uh, find the, the ryegrass seeds. 
Great, that sounds like a lot. Less labour hours involved. Now, obviously, the big uh, question on everyone's lips is what the results were. So can you give us an an overview of what results you got out of this testing, this recent testing? I guess the results are pretty boring because they're the same as what we've found previously. (laughs) So, yeah, look, we got 98 to 99% kill or destruction of annual ryegrass seeds. So basically that's exactly what we've seen before in all the other previous tests that we've, we've done with the, the horizontal mill. So I guess that's a, a peace of mind test in, um, or peace of mind result in many respects. Yeah, and it's good to know for those people out there who are thinking about buying a vertical IHSD mill and also for those who might have the horizontal IHSD to know that they're still getting the best outcome and this new mill is performing the same. So it's good information for people to know. Yeah, no, that's right. It's a validation result so that um, people can be can be pretty comfortable with the efficacy of their mill as long as it's all set up and performing properly. Great. And were there any other things that came out of the testing result that you think would be worth sharing with the audience out there? So we, the way we did the test, we looked at the effect of, of harvester throughput, and that's essentially just increasing the speed in different uh, treatment as, as a treatment effect. So we used four, six and eight kilometres per hour of harvester speed, and so that means that you've got... Uh, 50% more uh, throughput with those speed increases. And what we found was that they were at the highest speed of 8 kilometres an hour in a uh, roughly a 2 tonne yielding wheat crop, we didn't decrease the efficacy of the, of the mill. So we're still getting the same ryegrass seed kill at that highest operating speed. That's excellent. Okay, Michael, I think that covers it all. Thank you so much for providing that information. People are very interested, obviously, in the weed seed impact mill technology, and so it's really good to be able to keep on top of all the research that's coming out on them. So we really appreciate your time. No problem. My pleasure, Jess. Thank you very much to Dr. Michael Walsh there. Now, Pete, at the end there, Michael was talking about the speed that the harvester is going at. Can you give a little bit more of an overview of uh, why that's important to consider? Yeah, I thought that was a great result that the HSD mills kept their kill rate as the speed increased. Obviously, you go faster, you harvest more tonnes an hour, there's more material going through the harvester and so more chaff going into the mill. Now, you would obviously be a bit concerned that if you really overload those mills with chaff, uh, could that sort of soften the blow of the mill, if you like, and reduce the seed kill, but really good to see that that seed kill stayed very high for all of the speeds. Yeah, very excellent results there. And like Michael said in the interview, you know, he's really open to doing any weed seed impact mill testing, completely independent. So, yeah, it's good to be able to get those results for uh, people who are considering this type of machinery out there so they can make an, an informed decision. Yeah, there are a few other prototype mills out and around the marketplace, Jess. So, yeah, Mike has had been involved in testing some of those as well and uh, yeah good to have that consistent test uh, so that consumers growers know what they're buying and know that um, they have can be confident that it's killing their wheat seeds definitely now Pete keeping in the same vein we're going to be chatting about the weed it and other ag tech just in a moment I caught up with precision ag specialist Jeremy Jones he's from Dolby Rural Supplies and he gives a bit of an overview of his perspective on how the weed it is traveling and also some of the downsides as well as giving his perception on what's a bit exciting out there in the ag tech space Pete what are you excited about in terms of ag tech well, I'd like to 
quote a farmer here actually who's got a weed seeker, in fact, similar to a weed it, see and spray green weeds in, in you know, fallow paddocks. And he said, one day we are going to sit our grandchildren on our knee and tell them that we used to have to spray the whole paddock when we were spraying yeah. radish in a wheat crop. And, you know, he can see that day coming soon when we will be patch spraying lots of, of different weeds in, in crops and in fallows. So, yeah, Weed It and Weed Seek uh, were first in, on the scene in Australia with that technology to save that cost in summer spraying. And I'm just excited about seeing it just continue to develop into other the uses in terms of in-crop and, and also in-fallow and also driverless. And what do you think about the weed it specifically? Because we do focus a bit on the weed it with the interview with Jeremy. Can you give us a bit of an idea of your thoughts? Yeah, well, they both, weed it and weed seeker, both, you know, they're trying to do the same thing, spray green weed in a, in a brown paddock. And I've sort of spoken to a lot of farmers about how they choose one or the other. Weed it has become probably the more popular of the two, I think, I think the things that people like is they have that 20 centimetre nozzle spacing. They have one camera every metre controlling five nozzles, so that's good instead of a camera on every nozzle. And also the automatic calibration. They just pull into a paddock and it calibrates itself automatically and it keeps calibrating itself on the run. With the weed seek, you have to stop and calibrate as the daylight changes, which is only a minor thing, but it is just another thing. So... Yeah, the Weed Seeker and the Weed It, they're both great machines and in this part of the world we're seeing a lot of them where I'm based here, Jess, and I think, yeah, the Weed It has been the, the more popular of the two. All right, let's take a listen and hear from Jeremy Jones. I'm chatting with Jeremy Jones. He's a precision ag specialist at Dalby Rural Supplies and we're going to be finding out a little bit about his perceptions around precision ag equipment, including the Weed It, and find out what he's a bit excited about in the ag space in terms of this type of equipment at the moment. And Jeremy, you also used to work at Croplands Equipment, so you've got lots of experience in this space. Firstly, how are you going? Uh, very well, Jess. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you today about this. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So maybe if we could just start off by getting a bit of an idea of uh, what you do and precision ag equipment generally that's available in Australia, if you could share that with us. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I came over to Australia from Canada uh, about uh, six years ago with my family, working with crop plants, and, and at that time uh, covered northern New South Wales and Queensland looking at sales for crop plants for roll gator spraying equipment as well as the introduction of the weed at the time, there wasn't many optical sprayers in the marketplace that, that were being used. Uh, really, weed, it was just starting to be introduced. Uh, weed Seeker had already been out for a number of years, but a number of those machines just weren't being operated properly and, and generally ended up parked up in corners of sheds. So you know, we were trying to overcome the, the stigma that you know all the camera sprayers were the same and really had to work hard to identify the unique opportunities that, that weed it presented growers in this region. Yeah, right. So what are some of the benefits of using a machine like the weed it? In dry seasons, uh, you know, you're not going to get a full germination of weeds all the time. And generally, the weeds that are going to be persisting are the hard-to-kill or, or glyphosate-resistant uh, weeds. So, you know, feather top was always a challenge for us right from the beginning. Uh, but we found that we ran into a lot of challenges in different areas. We get around Roma, and you'll, you'll see a lot of barnyard grass. Uh, through the, the Darling Downs throughout the winter months, we've got milk thistles that are germinating and, and flea beans become a real problem. So, 
it really, if we go out and just continue to try to double knock these weeds, uh, the resistance is just building and they're becoming harder to kill. So, you know, weed is letting us use those higher end chemistries that are maybe a little too expensive to use in broad acre applications. We put in big rates to the weed, it, we, we target the weeds, we hammer them with the big rates, they're killed, and at the end of the day, what we're targeting is zero survivors. If they're not surviving these applications, they're not building the resistance to become you know, a, a continuing problem. Yeah, for sure. And what are some of the downsides, if there are any, of using optical spray technology? Well, uh, speed of travel. Uh, we've got to you know, get guys to pull back to around that 14, 15 kilometers an hour is ideally where we want to be. Some are traveling slower. Uh, in order to be most effective over any undulating country, we need a ground-following boom because height is critical. So uh, with that, we run into challenges as we try to spray through washouts or over big contour banks. So you know, every, every region really presents its own challenges for optical spraying. So it's not just thinking, okay, I'm going to buy the weighted sensors and I'm going to fit them onto what I've got and I'm just going to go spray. It's really about finding the proper platform for those areas that's going to let those cameras do the proper job. So speed of travel is a problem. Uh, we're using older nozzle technology. They're just a 40-degree 03, even fan nozzle. So you know, they, they do produce a coarse droplet, but in 240 applications, that's not good enough. So you know, we're just looking to find nozzles that fit the industry requirements for 240 application in, in our uh, cotton growing season in this northern region. And, I mean, aside from that, it's more so just that challenge of finding the right platform. In terms of perception of people who are buying these machines, what have you noticed in that regard? Well, from from the onset, we were selling the you know the big thirty six meter machines to guys out west, and and you know the big acre guys that could really justify that outlay of, of that capital cost. And, and what they found is that their payback period was quite short, and. When we started trying to introduce them onto the Darling Downs and, and a lot of cotton growers, uh, the, the feedback we got was, you know, 36 meters sounds great, but to make them work, we've got to be 8, 9, 12 meters. Three-point linkage is something a little more economical for what they're doing. So, you know, we really had to you know, start working locally to find that, that proper platform that we could mount it on to fit what these growers wanted. So initially we'd worked with uh, Scott Sires and his group at Saris in Toowoomba, uh, sold a number of those toolbars throughout this northern region and now we're working with Rasmussen Brothers Engineering in Dalby. So it's yeah, it's been been a change and but the toolbars have been highly successful for us in this area. Great to hear. And you've obviously got a lot of experience in uh, precision ag and ag technology. What are some of the, the technologies that are coming out or that are available at the moment which have got you a bit excited in the ag space? Probably the, the biggest one that, that we're excited about at the moment is the robotics. Uh, really what Andrew Bates and, and Will McCarthy and that group have done with Swarm Farm over the last number of years has been fantastic. I mean, they've really got invested in that. We will have a Swarm Farm robot that uh, will be set up in the Jimber uh, area just outside of Dolby and operating later next month. I actually just met with the grower about it this morning and, you know, it, his comment was that, you know, people need to back this kind of technology. It's it's been developed, it's a huge outlay for these companies, and if it's not supported, it's going to disappear. So, you know, he just, he sees it as being one of those tools that are just going to help him you know, keep things tidy, get ahead of these hard-to-kill weeds on his property, and, and I think that's something that, that we'll see will be a big space here in, in this uh, in this region for sure. Uh, as we go out west, uh, we'll mean multiples of the robots, but uh, they've got the technology to make them work out, out there. Uh, they've also got the big dot platform out of North America, uh, which is also an autonomous 
you know, driverless system, quite large, uh, but looking at doing other things like planting and broad acre spraying. And, uh, but really, I see, you know, Swarm Farm as a, as a great introduction and really something that could fit on, on almost every property. And Jeremy, just one more question for you. In terms of the uh, optical camera spray technology, do you run into, into any issues with dust covering up the cameras or anything like that? And if you do, how do you compensate for that? Yeah, dust can definitely be a problem in, in a lot of these soils. We like the slower application speeds, which, which do help with dust. But when it's real bad, wheel tracks sometimes can escape. You know, what we've done in cases like that is run with bigger nozzles on the wheel tracks just to make sure that a lot of that spray droplets uh, that are going to be you know coming out of the nozzle are still going to make the plant. We don't want to see those droplets getting tied up in dust. Usually the biggest thing that, that we'd have problems with would be, you know, just physical damage on the cameras themselves. So, you know, lens getting cracked from a stone, things like that. But just regular maintenance and, uh, you know, checking things over, things, you know, seem to be going pretty well with the systems we have running at the moment. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for sharing your knowledge in this space. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Jess. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you very much to Precision Ag Specialist Jeremy Jones there from Dolby Rural Supplies. Really appreciate him taking the time to give us a bit more of an idea about the weeded and what's exciting him about ag tech as well. And Pete, driverless technology is really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, the robots or driverless tractors with these things, there's a lot of farmers particularly interested in that, particularly given a lot of the times they're you know, having to start very early in the morning when they are summer spraying and uh, if they can get a bit more of a sleep in, perhaps, that'd be a good thing, Jess. But also, as you said, um, these things, are, they are a bit slow. You know, they're 16 to 18 kilometres an hour, I think. So uh, driverless technology or robot technology, yeah, would be, would be a great first use, I think, of that driverless technology. Yeah, definitely. It's very exciting, the driverless technology. Um, yeah, and it feels like things are moving quite quickly in, in the space. So, yeah, we'll definitely keep everyone in the loop of the latest in terms of ag tech. But, yeah, it's exciting to see in just a few years the changes that have kind of gone through. And, yeah, very exciting times. Yeah, just with that, I mean, there are some people that are worried that the robots are going to take over and there'll be no people left in the communities. And I'd really like to think that hopefully it just means that we still have, you know, we still need workers to maintain the machines and fill them and operate them and so on. But hopefully it just means that those workers can uh, perhaps do some more meaningful work or do other work and, and really, you know, instead of doing that work, which is just all day, every day of sitting on a boom spray doing 16Ks an hour, I'd... You know, maybe I'm just an optimist, Jess, I don't know, but I'd like to think that we can integrate these things into our systems without it having too big an effect on the community. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's lots of positive things to come out of the technology, so we'll watch this space. But thank you so much for joining me again, Pete, to co-host for the podcast, and we're back to our normal routine now. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with the next instalment. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jess.